Hello, my name is Terry, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast, which is now one of the longest-running, most episodes, career-focused podcasts that has ever existed, ever. And if you'd like to help support me to continue to create this podcast, please consider throwing some change my way on my Patreon. Uh, very much appreciated, and the link to that is in the description of this chat. This chat features animator, writer, story editor, and set designer Carolyn Foley, whose most recent projects have included story editing for the YouTube series Toka Life Stories and Blippy Wonders. She also worked on BoJack Horseman and Rick and Morty, and she started her own studio recently called Tiny Lion Animation. Now, besides all this, our chat is going to focus mainly on her journey pitching and getting Apple to produce an original short she co-created called Toasty Tales, and she's gonna dive into what contract negotiations are like, how to get execs to understand and vibe with your idea, and what it's actually like creating a show once a studio is backing you. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hello, Carolyn. Thanks for coming on this podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, let's let's just start things off. So you were talking to me about how you graduated when the financial crisis was going on back in 20, 2007, 2008. And that's when I just started university. So I missed that. But how did you get your start in animation when, you know, it's already tough to pursue an artist animation career and there were no jobs? Like what what kept you persistent and what was that thing that got you your first start? Uh, so I made myself available in other areas of animation. So when I went to CalArts, my loves were 2D animation and stop motion. And I, my, my first love 2D, but I, I really loved stop motion. And so when the financial crisis hit, you know, I had a 2D job, uh, I was animating and, um, uh, storyboarding these shorts for this company called Ringtails, and they were for the they were translated comics from the New Yorker magazine. Uh, so they're just these little short animations. It was a great little freelance gig. Uh, and then when the financial crisis hit, they were unable to, uh, you know, pay for my work anymore. So I had a really rough time uh, during that whole period from about 2008 into 2009. Uh, and I had to live uh, surviving on food stamps. And I took a variety of really weird jobs that I don't think I would normally do. So first of all, I was living downtown in Skid Row, uh, which was wild. And so I was doing things like I I helped this guy uh with his dogs, he had like, he like was this rich guy breeding dogs in the this area called the brewery, uh, which is like a big artist colony. And uh, so I would wake up at 530 in the morning and ride my bike over to this, you know, this big artist colony um, and and take care of this guy's dogs. And I got paid under the table like eight dollars an hour. And I was you know, it, it was really rough. Um, but at the same time, I was like, you know, really wanting to continue animation. Like that was my passion and I really wanted to make it work, you know? So 
my re-entry into the animation was uh, a friend of mine that I went to school with. He had been working at this stop motion studio that was making uh, Robot Chicken at the time. They're called Shadow Machine. And he was like, hey, there's an internship that's opening up, uh, you know, come on over, test out. So it was for Robot Chicken doing animation. Um, and so I tested, they really liked it. They wanted to hire me, uh, but they said, you know, one of our other interns that has already done a round of interning applied and we're gonna, you know, bring them on to actually have this paid job, but we want you to be, you know, a part of uh, what we're making. Um, so they saw I had all these other skills, you know, like I could build things and, you know, make props and stuff, you know, all that stuff was in my portfolio. Uh, so I got an internship working on, um, this show that they were making at the time for robot, uh, for adult swim called Frankenhole. Uh, so I learned a lot, you know, all the different techniques about, uh, you know, making props for stop motion in, uh, you know, professional environment like that and painting and, and all that. So, uh, and I stayed there for a while. Um, uh, so that was, that was my re-entry and that was hard in itself because, uh, that did not pay, but, uh, I knew if I stuck around, they would eventually pay me. So, wow. uh, it did lead to paying work and, um, yeah, so much more. Uh, so yeah, I stuck it out, made it. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. I mean, congratulations on coming this far. Also, there's a lot to unpack there. So you just graduated school. Uh, you also made a short that I immediately watched when you created it and became internet popular, which I want to mention in a minute, which it doesn't seem like it helps you that much even in, well, I guess it's a financial crisis. What, you know, when you're in the lowest of lows and being on food stamps doesn't sound fun and riding your bike into a dog breeding artist alley every day at 5am sounds awful to me. I mean, I got up at seven this morning and that was hard enough. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> what, is, what is going through your mind and keeping you, uh, you know, excited about animation and, and pushing through all that time, even when you got a job and you said it wasn't paying the bills, but you were at least working on something that you enjoyed? What what kept you motivated to continue this path, even though it wasn't working? Um. Well, I knew that it would open up eventually, you yeah. know, like the financial crisis wasn't going to last forever. The writer's strike wasn't going to last forever. Animation was going to pick back up. So I knew that my timing was unfortunate. But if if I just hung on, I would be able to make it. And I, I think it was, you know, there was definitely some desperation there. Uh, because if I, you know, the, the, the other thing for me to do would be to go home but uh I didn't want to go home and that wasn't really my home anyway um uh my parents had moved out to Arizona from San Diego so I didn't know anybody um I to be perfectly honest didn't like living with my parents um there was a lot of uh rough times there so like working in animation for me uh was like this is it was more than just a career. It was yeah. like, this is, this is everything I want. I can uh, draw, I can animate. Like this is, it, it just came naturally to me. Like I, I felt like it's where I belonged. Um, so it was like, 
I couldn't fail. I had to make it work and I knew it would. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I relate to that a lot. For me, you know, I went through many years kind of denying that whole aspect of myself and it didn't feel good in the career I was in. But, you know, animation is also part of, you know, the communities there. I'm artistically expressing myself. I totally understand it's part of you and and like, you know, to keep pushing through and seeing a little bit of success here and there and working on Robot Chicken and Frankenhole. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you for sharing. I'm also, you know, I want to talk about your short, you know, No Naked with this with this crazy horse and these two little kids that get naked. Was that your thesis film or what, not? I guess CalArts doesn't have thesis films. It has just films every year. Was that that was a that was a school film project? Yeah, that was a school film. Uh, so that was the fourth film that my my final film at, at CalArts. I mean, I wasn't in character animation. I was an ex experimental. So character animators, they have a film they finish every year. Experimental is a little different, but I did make a film every year. And so for uh, No Naked, that was actually, the first thing that I storyboarded when I got to CalArts, I sat down in my cubicle and I had kind of been thinking about this idea for a little bit. It had been like sloshing around in my brain, but I wasn't doing anything with it. So I was like, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to board this thing out. And I was like, you know, when I was done, I knew I wanted to make it as a film, but I knew I had a lot to learn. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make this before I graduate you know, not right now, but later. So I did all, you know, storyboarding classes, animation classes, you know, I took sound design and, and all that. So, uh, you know, editing all that. Uh, and so that film is, you know, all of my skills that I, I learned at CalArts and 2D animation combined into one, one thing. Um, and it's really, I think my favorite thing about it is like, it's all me, you know, when you get into animation, in the industry, you know, you're working on things for other people or you're collaborating and like no naked was that is 100% me, my my little weird brain. <laughs> I love that. And honestly, like the people that put 100% themselves into something like that, like you did, it stands out. I mean, I can instantly recall that at any point in my life and my only criticism is that there's there was not more you didn't create any more because I remember watching it the first time and being like all right I want to see more I want to see more of this I want to see more animation from this person I don't know who they are and there was nothing <laughs> yeah you know it is so hard that's that's the other thing about being uh in animation in and living in Los Angeles is that it's expensive to live out here and when you work in the industry, it takes all of your creative energy. Um, and I, I just wasn't able to make another film, uh, but I am working on a film right now. Uh, and later we get another film. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you, like I did something similar when I was in school where I created something. It was a stop motion film. That's basically people know me for it. I still get work requests for it. Did did was that similar to your experience too? Like, did people like call you up because they knew of this short film that you created? Because like in my mind, like it's this iconic like piece of internet history and animation, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, some people, but I don't. I don't think a lot of um, you know, studios like people who were hiring. Yeah. I, think that really hit their radar you know so it was a lot more of like younger people who were watching it people my own age but the people who were doing the actual hiring um you know they saw it as 
you know, animation in my demo reel. I would take pieces of it, you know, put it in. So, and then I would include it in my, you know, my emails and be like, you can also watch my short film. And, you know, sometimes I'd watch it and, and really like it. Um, uh, but I think, yeah, the, the most it did for me was, uh, well, first it, it was my way of like, uh, really honing my skills. Um, but also just the animation that I did, it was, you know, a portfolio piece. So it did get me, uh, animation work in the industry. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. So let's skip ahead a little bit. So, um, you know, what do you consider yourself in the industry? Because you animate, you write, you, you do you storyboard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like, what in your mind is, are, are you, I guess, <laughs> I guess people, I... people typically kind of pigeonhole themselves and like, you know, I'm this, I'm a concept artist, I'm an editor, but you do, uh, I like in I, my mind, you're just a storyteller, if that makes sense. Like, what do you consider yeah. yourself? I would, I would think that's very true. Uh, storyteller, artist, filmmaker, uh, in that, that whole realm of stuff. Um, I really don't like to be pigeonholed and, um, I, I find myself thriving when I can, you know, move around a little bit. Uh, but I'm not always, you know, jumping from job to job doing different things. So, so after, you know, well, let's start back with my re-entry into animation, starting with stop motion. I did that for, you know, I was with shadow machine doing stop motion for like the first three three to kind of five-ish years um and i i really enjoyed it but uh working with the stop motion chemicals was really tough on my body i am a rather sensitive person uh so that was bad for me bad for my health and um i found myself really missing the storytelling aspect of it uh so making sets and props is all very cool and it's all part of the storytelling process you know uh, but it, it, I wanted to be more involved in a more direct way. Um, and that kind of, I don't want to jump ahead, but that kind of segues into Toasty Tales a little bit. Um, uh, but well, I'll, I'll come back to Toasty Tales in a minute. So, um, while I was working at Shadow Machine, they decided to, uh, dive into the 2D animation world, um, it's, you know, it's hard to sustain yourself as a stop motion studio because there's only so much work. Um, so Shadow Machine was doing some diversifying. So uh, they knew that I had 2D animation experience. And so I was doing like a little bit of consulting for the owners of the studio about how like you need computers. You can't just, you know, <laughs> this is what you need in order to make 2D animation instead of stop motion. Uh, so I kind of helped him out with that and then helped during that transition and moved on to some shows um, that they had going. They had like Trip Tank and Greatest Party Story Ever and then eventually BoJack Horseman. Uh, so I was involved in all those shows because I was there and I had, you know, those skills available. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I had left stop motion and I had focused on 2D. Um, and I think being a 2D animator and then being a story artist, they're they're a little bit similar for me because I have drawing skills. Um, I know a lot of times you can be a, a 2D animator in 
you know, on a show where you're moving pieces around, you don't have to draw. Um, but if you can draw, uh, you can kind of jump back and forth between those two things pretty easily. Okay. Um, and being a storyboard artist leads very nicely into being a writer. Um, <laughs> so I feel like all of these jobs kind of build on each other, you know, um, I mean, but that makes I, a lot of sense to me that you grew when a company was growing and, and you know, they were taking on different types of work and you were you were at that point. Um, and the 2D, you already had the 2D skills. That makes sense to me. And the storyboarding, that makes sense to me. But the writing is a little bit of a stretch because now you're working on dialogue. You're working on, well, mostly dialogue, I assume. And then, you know, script writing is totally different than, than storyboarding. How did you like pick up skills in actual writing then because like language and making something sound interesting and cutting the fluff and all that stuff is much different than, you know, action-based storyboard, I'm assuming. Uh, it is and is it is and it isn't. So for animation, um, uh, I kind of had an advantage for writing because I'm such a visual thinker. Mm. And that's something that is hard to translate into the written word, but it's something that came really naturally uh, to me because I can, you know, I can visualize everything. Um, so important things like, you know, visualizing how a character moves through space and stuff like that translates on the page a lot more easy, easily. And it makes the script uh, a lot more easy to e easy to read and uh, translate into actual visuals. Right. Um so I did have that natural advantage, but there is a lot to learn as a writer. So I made a conscious effort uh, to learn how to write. So uh, the Animation Guild, which I'm a member of, they have they, they used to have a lot more writing classes um, at this place in Burbank called, I think it was, was it called like the writer's workshop or something? Or I don't remember, but it, it gosh, it's, it's no longer around anymore. Um, but they, they, they do offer, um, you know, zoom sessions where writers who have, uh, lots of experience will offer their advice, you know, do mentorships and that kind of thing. Um, so I just did as much personal learning as I could, oh, wow. uh, blogs, essays, stuff like that, you know, getting a uh, final draft and diving in and, you know, getting uh, write, writing and then getting feedback from other friends who were either writers or aspiring writers. Uh, so I just, you know, did did the the work on my own time when I could. Um, so did, and, you were actively trying to get into writing then. You were, you were like, I've done the stop motion set building. Now I'm moving on to, to 2D animating. Now I'm moving on to storyboarding. And now I want to actively actually get into writing. How did you get that first writing gig? Like, I understand, you you know, you're, you're writing maybe sample scripts and example uh, episodes and things based on your learning. But how did you get hired as a writer? Yeah, so my first writing job was with Cartoon Network on this micro shorts team. And we were writing, you had to be an artist and a writer. And so you're supporting content for all of the uh, original shows, you know, Steven Universe, Adventure Time, that kind of stuff. Um, so a friend of mine was offered that job, but she didn't, you know, feel like she, I don't know if she didn't want to do the 
the artistry aspect of it, or, you know, if she just didn't want to, you know, she didn't want the job, but she was like, Hey, they're looking for someone and I don't want to do it. So why don't you, you know, apply? Um, and so that was my, you know, gateway in. Um, but by that time I had already sold Toasty Tales to Cartoon Network, uh, and you know, which got passed on and that led to Amazon picking it up. Right. Um, and there's a lot of writing involved in selling a show. So I had already showed that I had, uh, you know, the ability to develop characters and understand writing from that aspect, you know? So I had already written a lot of um, pitch, pitch Bibles and done a lot of pitching and that kind of thing. So I think if, you know, there's, there's a technical part of writing that you have to learn that I think, you know, anybody can learn. Um, and then there's, you know, the, the part that comes with just, you know, experience. And, and I think I had a lot of that experience just from being immersed in animation and, you know, writing my own stories and, you know, you, you learn uh, as you go along. You know? I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you've mentioned Toasty Tales a bunch of times, so maybe we should just talk about that. So, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I have a couple pictures that are, are going around. One is signed with a studio, um, but I'm always trying to develop more work and get it out there and pitch it. And, you know, I've I've pitched to Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's tough. <laughs> it's a lot and, of work. So congratulations yeah. on, uh, you know, getting it picked up by Nickelodeon. Then, unfortunately, that didn't work. But, you know, it, it got made by by uh, what Amazon, right? It was made by Amazon. Yeah, Cartoon Network picked it up first. Um, Cartoon Network, sorry. But yeah, so, so if we go back in time a little bit, uh, Toasty Tales, I developed that with my friend Tom Borowski, who we were working at Shadow Machine at the same time. He was the painter or one of the painters, uh, you know, in the studio for the sets and props. Um, and I was upstairs, you know, building them. And uh, at one point we shared an office. Um, and so we were like, let's, you know, we can do this ourselves. You know, so many, you know, silly ideas come through these doors and get made. Why can't we do it? So exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we sat down at this whiteboard and we were like, what are our favorite things? And we're like, we're both, you know, kids that love to be outside, uh, go camping, uh, love marshmallows specifically. And those things all kind of like just went together. So um, we, we were just, you know, sharing this office, writing all these ideas down on a whiteboard. Everything, you know, started out very rough. Uh, they were very different from where they started to where we ended up. Um, but that's, you know, what development is. It's like working and reworking over and over and over. Uh, and things change a lot, you know. Um, so we had been working in the industry for, you know, three or four years by that point. Um, no, more than that. Uh, but anyway, we we had, you know, a number of contacts that we could uh, reach out to. Uh, so we were able to pitch all over town, you know, uh, Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. We pitched to the Jim Henson Company. We pitched to all the, you know, smaller studios who were like, maybe you can team up with us and all the big ones and, you know, including Disney and Amazon and DreamWorks, you know, literally. How did, how did you get these meetings in the first place? You just you just called up your contacts or? Yeah, so so we it, it was all of our network of friends. So uh tom we went to um uh jim henson because he knew 
the lady in development over there. So we got that meeting at Cartoon Network. A friend of ours was really good friends with the head of, um, it wasn't development, but it was like, I think talent and outreach. So she brought us in, you know, to, to do the pitch. And um, we managed to get an entertainment lawyer and she had some contacts that we could reach out to. Uh, so it was just like a whole combination of things, you know, and people like studios that we were pitching to, they were like, you know, this is a great idea. Uh, it's, you know, it's not the right fit for us, but you should go pitch it over here. And they would give us a contact these people so it's just like a cascade that kept on moving um but we originally had decided to develop it for the nickelodeon shorts program there you know they had open submissions for pitching a two-minute short um and by the time we were done with you know developing this bible and you know we actually made an animatic uh, it didn't make sense as a two-minute short it was much bigger um, and Nickelodeon knew that and they're like, look, this is great. We don't want to do it a two minute short. We want to do it, you know, as, as a big show, but we're not, we're not open for anything yeah. like that right now. Um, but luckily, you know, we had interest from Cartoon Network and Amazon. Um, so first we went to Cartoon Network and we developed it, which was a very different process from Amazon. Right. Um, yeah. So-, so, so Cartoon Network actually passed on it. Um, but that process is, you know, we have to storyboard the pilot. So we write it ourselves, we storyboard it, and then we have a big pitch meeting with, you know, the head of the studio and all these executives. Um, there was like a dozen people in that room. It was a little intimidating, you know, um, (laughs) and it was great. Uh, but ultimately it wasn't, you know, what they were looking for. But Amazon was already interested, so they picked it up. That development process was very different. They didn't want us to write it ourselves and uh, storyboard it ourselves. They're like, just uh, fix up the pitch deck uh, to make it, uh, you know, a little a little bigger, you know. And that's all we had to do. And uh, we sold it. And then we went right into production. Um, and that's when we brought on storyboard artists and um, we had a writer. And that's what really made me want to become a writer because uh, they didn't trust us to write the script, Amazon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they're like, so, what writing credits do you have? And you're like, I know the story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I didn't technically have any at that point. And they're like, well, we really want to bring someone on who has experience. And, you know, well, Cartoon Network wanted a, a a board driven pilot uh amazon wanted a script driven pilot so that was a skill that we didn't have so that's when i decided i really need to learn how to write because selling shows at that moment in time uh was going to writers not artists not board artists you know it was happening but it was mostly writers so i was like i need this skill if i'm gonna sell a show yeah of course i want to back up a little bit so okay so you and your friend create this pitch uh, and you pitch it everywhere and you get great feedback. You know, all these places you're pitching get a thousand pitches a year already. What, you know, what really made your pitch stand out versus everybody else? Like, what do you think was that key selling feature that that you had that these other pitches weren't getting through with? So a cu- I think a couple of things. Um, first, we had like this little secret weapon, which was a big diorama that we brought in person. Um, And it was in this big box. 
And so it was very, um, I don't know, exciting when we would bring this big box. What's in the box? Yeah. And we're like, we're going to get to that. Uh, So we would have this moment where we open it and reveal and there's like lights inside and you can see this whole like little campground set up with the marshmallows in there. Um, And people were very excited about it. Yeah. Uh, And And you're like, I've been a stop motion set designer for years. I know what I'm doing. (laughs) So at that point, and that's the other thing that we came in with was a lot of experience. So I had 2D animation experience. I had stop motion building experience. My friend was a great art director, still is great art director um, and painter. And so we had all these skills in order to show run. So we had a lot to offer. Um, So I think it was very exciting. We came in with something that was really simple to understand. And uh, the characters are just marshmallows. So they're very simple shapes with just a lot of space on their body for expression um, and their 2D animation. So you could get a really huge range of expression out of those guys. And because we had, uh, you know, the skills to do both 2D and stop motion, and we had experience working at stop motion studios, we knew all of the people that we had to go to in order to is done. So it was, it, we made it very easy. All we needed was the money from the studio, right? So they were like, this is, this is an easy yes. Also, I would like to say our, our pitch deck was pretty banging. Uh, everybody loved it. They loved the idea. They loved the, the character development and the whole concept. So um, we, we, I've never had such success again you know like i'm not pitching stuff all the time but i think the the combination of the art with our knowledge and with the pitch deck and our contacts it all just was like it just made sense it was an easy yes let's invest money in this and that's what it is with selling a show you have to really prove that you are going to do something responsibly uh make something with this money, it is a huge amount of money that they give you to make this show. I mean, not me personally, but right. you know, they're investing like, you know, $500,000. That's, you know, not a small sum. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's yeah. pocket change. <laughs> okay. Right. I'm glad you yeah. have this experience because when I pitch stop motion, I have the exact, you know, I've worked for stop motion studios. I have my own production, stop motion productions. I try to create things in a way that's very simple and like minimalist. And I always, every single studio I've pitched to says, we don't, we've never done stop motion. Uh, we don't know about it. We don't know how much it costs or audiences don't want stop motion in North America. So like, how did, you know, I'm glad you had the opposite reactions, but like, how did you, did you have to convince anybody that, you know, this is like not that expensive or like, we know what we're doing. Like Amazon was just like, yeah, make all the backgrounds in stop motion. No problem. Like they didn't question things. No, they were very excited because they were specifically, (laughs) they were specifically looking for thing for, you know, show (laughs) look. Uh, So when they saw that we were going to do these stop motion set backgrounds with the 2D characters on top and we had the experience to do it, um, they, they were very excited. They're like, that's all we want in this, you know, these lineups, you know, they, they get a lot of 2D shows and they were like, this is exciting for us. We want, they wanted to try it out, you know, and we were just, 
I feel like we got in at a at a good time when they yeah. did want to experiment and try things out. Of course, that whole division is gone now. Right, uh, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but but yeah, I know a lot. I've heard from a lot of other people who have had stop motion projects in development uh, where it's very difficult. You know, obviously we didn't make it to series, uh, but we made it to pilot, which is pretty far. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, for anything stop motion, considering most stop motion is, you know, for preschool little guys or uh, for, uh, you know, Adult Swim audience. Dude, yeah, Adult Swim horror. So cheap, no. you know. Um, so uh, I feel like I yeah. lost my thought here. That's okay. I have lots of questions. To ask you. <laughs> yeah, another, okay, so another <laughs> thing is like, for it was, me. It was good timing. Yeah. yeah, for me, developing my own pitches is quite labor intensive and expensive you know like an entertainment lawyer costs a lot of money and uh you know just doing all the art and writing it takes for me it's like months of part-time work in my evenings and blah 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 uh i'm assuming you had similar experience um but a lot of people think that when you get a show picked up you know <laughs> you haven't made you're getting tons well, of money you used to tell yeah. me tell me about your experience with that because my you know from my understanding it's like all right i've had very similar conversations where it's like what do you specifically bring to the table you want to be the showrunner director but like what have you showrun and directed before because we already have a lineup of people we work with that we like what do you actually bring are you you know do you just here you go take it and run with it i made the idea or do you have to really convince them to you know be a specific role on the team like what how does that go yeah. So, uh, all right. Uh, I think I can talk about this because this Amazon division is not around anymore. Well, you, um, you don't have to, I mean, you can be candid, but if you don't have well, say anything, something, don't say it. It's not, it's nothing bad. It's just that, you know, uh, we didn't get offered hardly anything with our contract with Amazon, you know? Uh, and I, I think this is something that a lot of studios are doing now is like, they will, load up the back end and make that look really great but you have to really sacrifice a lot up front so uh when we made toasty tales we got our development money um which went all to our lawyer one yeah. like none of it we kept uh we got an ep fee which was only three thousand dollars and that was you know we had a little bit of option money you know that's something that happens when you so, um, but yeah, I was, I was not making enough money to survive, to survive basically. Um, so I negotiated for myself a paid role on the Toasty Tales pilot. So I negotiated for, um, storyboard hmm. work. So I was already in the union and it was going to, it, it had to be, a partial union show anyway, because Amazon uh, was contractually obligated to have union work. So uh, I was able to do union storyboard work for the pilot. And, you know, unfortunately the stop motion side was not unionized. So uh, it was a very strange, like split production in that way. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I was fortunate to get that paycheck. Uh, but as soon as production stopped, I had 
to go on unemployment until I picked up the next gig. I had no savings. It was difficult. So I, I just had to go right back to, to Rick and Morty, you know, uh, animating for, you know, paycheck, which, you know, there's worse things. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so tell me, so tell me about like what's going on emotionally, because, you know, your Amazon is like, we want to make this. It's happening now. And you're, I'm assuming you're over the moon and then you get through the contracts. And like, you know, from my experience, every single thing, all the rights, every line is, is, you know, it's different. People want different things. It's, people are fighting over other things and you're just standing there being like, uh, I want to make this show. <laughs> Can I Basically, be involved? Yeah. <laughs> the hardest part of development is that contract process. And it yeah. will take six months, uh, usually at, you know, the quickest. Yeah. Um, so the waiting game is what really kills you, you know. So at a certain point, you have to, you know, stop and be like, you know, how much do I want to make this show, you know? And at that point, we really wanted to make the show. and. Um, you know, we yeah. I think because we weren't like the most experienced, like we had worked in the industry for a while, but we weren't expensive, you know? So I think it was advantageous for Amazon as well to be a little experimental, uh, to, you know, not have to pay a super large sum and just see if this will work. And, it, you know, yeah. uh, which, you know, ultimately they decided not to, but, uh, yeah, I think being a little less expensive, I mean, I don't suggest people do that, but I think, you know, we were just in that mindset where we want to make it and they were not budging on certain price yeah. points. Um, and so then you our, just to, you just have to accept. Yeah. I totally understand that. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, so I know yeah. some people who they make a living off of like pitching selling and offering their services as like showrunner show like for shows that's what that's what they do which i think is fantastic from your experience it doesn't sound like you got a lot out of it other than you know your show coming to life and being able to show that and and using that as like a calling card i guess how if you were pitching now based on your experience from when you got this all made what would you make sure that you did differently or it wouldn't or you wouldn't you know, go into this experience again? Uh, well, I always suggest that people go in with an entertainment lawyer, um, yeah. which I have always done. Um, but it, but, you know, lawyers will work uh, on two different scales, you know, they'll work either hourly or for some of the contract. So my first entertainment lawyer, she was, you know, very, very good, uh, but she worked hourly. So we racked up a huge bill while we were negotiating with her. And at a certain point, we just had to stop negotiating. We're like, we're going to, I mean, we're already going to make yeah. nothing on this, you know, like, <laughs> so let's just do it. Um and then, so the next lawyer I got, um, you know, was a, uh, works for a percentage and she was great. Uh, but also, you know, that ended up, you know, in the end, the, the show that I was developing, I was developing a show with Netflix. Um, I actually had to walk away from that because the development process just was never ending. And, you know, I had already, you know, agreed to the terms of the, development process and all that. Um, 
But the nice thing about that lawyer in that circumstance was I did not owe her any money, you know, which sucks for her, but she's a lawyer in entertainment making a shit. Well, listen, lawyers get paid five plus dollars an hour. So, (laughs) oh yeah. My, my, my first entertainment lawyer, she, she was uh, on our first contract she was like 750 an hour and on our second contract she was 900 an hour yes and they will and they have like a minimum they're like oh you have a five minute conversation we have a minimum 15 minutes uh bill rate like all this this crazy stuff yeah she was she was nice enough to do you know like free phone calls like quick questions and stuff like that um she was really nice but i was always intimidated to reach out to her right Uh, you're like like uh, i can't i'm not gonna meet my personal rent budget this month if I have another question. So does that yeah. mean that the the second type of lawyer, um, they don't get paid if the deal doesn't go through? Correct. Interesting. Yeah. And and that's what happened in my case. Maybe for other lawyers, there is some, you know, some kind of like, oh, well, if it doesn't go, then, you know, maybe they have in the contract some kind of small fee or whatever. Um, but I would also imagine that, you know, once you have an entertainment lawyer, they stay with you. But my second entertainment lawyer managed to get uh, brought onto a very large uh, studio as a full-time right. lawyer. So she, you and know, can't take you anymore, yeah. yeah, yeah. She went on to even bigger and better things. So, <laughs> so, okay. Know. So number one is work with an entertainment lawyer, which, you know, I recommend too, because even working in animation, you have no, at least I had no clue about the process of developing and option agreements and development contracts it's just something that you're never ever exposed to or have to deal with ever so you don't even know what things mean (laughs) so um yeah you don't want to be the the bad guy negotiating you know like you don't want to be the one following up on emails being like hey where's you know the contract let's go you know, you want somebody to do that for you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's very easy to tick people off, especially when it comes to these things. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so what else would you, you know, change uh, or like about the experience? Because it sounds like you're very familiar with developing IPs. Have have your, you know, have you changed the way you pitch things? How, what you consider, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just curious. Um, honestly, the only big change that's happened is that everything's over zoom now. So, yeah. Um, so I can't, I can't, you're like, I was going to make a diorama for, um, the, my most recent development deal. Uh, but I was like, what is, what is the point? The whole thing about a diorama, you know, from Tootsie Tales was that we brought it in and it's like this big mystery box and it builds excitement. But, at, you know, on a Zoom meeting, I'm like, oh, I got this box. I'm going to show it later. You know, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like gotcha. it had this pizzazz. And, you know, when we were pitching Toasty Tales, we could turn off the lights. And then when you open the box, there's lights already on. And it, it's just a different experience. So, um, you know, I also what I'm doing now is like I'm, I was pitching more preschool shows now. So that's yeah. a different beast entirely. Um, rather Can you than take pitching- me through, you know, the Zoom call, because most of my pitching happened over Zoom because I started pitching literally a couple of months before the pandemic. And then I've only ever pitched on Zoom after that. Um, and my formula is kind of like, uh, you know, try to be short, concise, get them excited, bring them into the world, the characters. 
Uh, and like 15 minutes is the max. Like that's, that's how kind of I approach it. Can you, can you run me down how, like how your whole, how you try to tailor the pitching experience and what you include and like how you build excitement over zoom? Um, yeah, well, you know, like you said, keep it short. So if you've got a half hour pitch meeting, you've got to expect the first five minutes, someone's going to be late. Yeah. Someone's five gonna, minutes are going to be late. The next 10 minutes, they just want to know late, who you are. Go up and they're going to be like, oh, I don't know if so-and-so is going to be here. You know, all these executives, they have so many pitches and they just get busy and they have to go to so many different directions, you know? So you don't know who's going to be in that room. So you have to be prepared for anything. Um, uh, something I prepare for is I live in an area that gets um, like power outages a lot. So (laughs) I, I was actually in a big, um, meeting actually with my judge and uh, there was a big storm and the power went out and I was just cut off from the meeting. I was like, Oh fuck. You know, like like, it took months to schedule this. And well, it was, it was easy to get back on, you know, eventually get it back on the books very easily. Um, but I bought a big power bank battery, you know, surge. And now I, you know, you gotta, you know, get a new one every couple of years so they don't burn out. But, um, that's something that I learned and. (laughs) Okay. But besides internet, you know, how the whole pitching experience, like, what do you do to tell your pitches? Like, you know, are you, are you following the classic formula of like, here's the log line, here's the characters, like what's going on? Yeah. So you need to have those things right up front, especially the log line. Um, because sometimes studios will use that as, as like in their scheduling, you know, they'll have the title, your name, the title of the show, and then the log line. Uh, so the executive going in will have a sense of what they're getting into. Right. So you agree uh, how to like a lot of the times they'll just book a meeting and be like, give it to me. Like, like their receptionist or whatever has booked it. Like, I don't have an opportunity to send them any materials beforehand or like they haven't sent me. No, no, no. You don't want to send your materials beforehand because you are there. Yeah, so how do you, how do they have the log line? Well, you have to send them the log line. Like, it's just, you're not sending them the pitch. You're just writing it in the email. You're like, I've never done that. Yeah. So it's, it's usually something that's requested, you know, they're like, give us a, you know, quick log line or synopsis, you know, so they're just prepared for when you come in the meeting. What I do, what I send out is a uh, one sheet that has a image, log line, maybe a little blurb, but usually mm-hmm. it's just an image in the log line and, you know, the title. So it's just like, you know, a sizzler image kind of thing uh, that gets the executive excited, you know? Um, and then for the meeting, so, you know, first five minutes, whatever, that's a wash usually. Um, you'll introduce yourself. But what I've done now is I will kind of build that into the pitch a little bit. Um, and uh, I'll go into that in a second. Sure. Um, so I I try to make my pitch, you know, about 12 minutes long max, because at the end, you have to make time for questions from the executives. Most of the time they're going to have questions. And sometimes they don't. And they're they're like, you know, We'll, we'll reach out with questions. Um, 
but that's what I like to do is make it really quick. And then I, I do go, you know, I pitch in the formal style with, um, I will do a log line, a synopsis and then do the characters and the world and stuff like that. And, um, I have a full visual deck as well because I am a visual artist as well as a writer, I will make a full visual deck. And that's what I use on the zoom meetings to I do the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's smart because you don't want the executive yeah. to like they'll, to read anything they'll read along yeah. and you want them to look at the art. Um, so uh that's what i do and i find that's a nice way to to go uh when we were pitching toasty tales we actually didn't do that um but we made a diorama so while we were pitching they could look at the diorama and that kind of served its purpose there for us yeah. so okay so the pitches you've done the pitch it's gone well they're interested and they start asking questions and i usually get two types of questions i get like questions like uh, or like feedback, like, you know, we don't like the name of this show. What have you thought of like this? Or we don't think that this character should be a girl. Have you considered they're a dog instead or stuff like that? So I kind of take those questions and go like, those aren't building on the pitch. They're just trying to change details for whatever reason, because they're not sold on the pitch. And then other feedback I get is like, oh, we really like this element. Have you considered like, you know, going this way with the storyline and using this character over here to like bring out this new element or something or uh have you fleshed out this more and i consider kind of that feedback more important because it it feels more like the person understands what i'm pitching and they're trying to add to it versus change it have you had this experience as well and and i'm yeah. wondering how you deal with feedback and people just throwing like what about red or what if they're wearing a hat instead like stuff like that which sometimes i'm just like why this doesn't make sense what you're asking yeah, I think stuff when they're talking about like, well, you're, can you put a hat on the character? You know, like that's that's a little bit of a silly feedback I would find. But I everything else, you know, uh, what what shows are for these networks are filling in very important data spaces for them. You know, so if they are asking a question like, would you consider your main character being a boy instead of a girl? That's because they want to they have an opening in their lineup for a show with a boy lead. So mm -hmm. that's why they're asking. Same thing with like, if you're, you know, uh, if your show is adventure and comedy, you know, they would ask like, oh, do you think it's more adventure or more comedy? Because they have that space in their lineup that they- How would, how would you answer those questions? Because on one hand, I'm you're really enticed to get it picked up. On another hand, you don't you want it to stay true to what it is. But if they're yeah. if they're saying like if in the back of their mind they're like, we really want something comedy, but if they say more adventure, then this isn't the right fit. Like Yeah. Then you know, it's not I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is for you to know your show and know what you are willing to change. So for example, when we pitched to Disney, uh, they really loved our pitch. But the executive said, So these executives that you pitch to they are the ones that are going to take it to a higher up exec and pitch it to them. Right. And that that is going to be, or someone above them is the one that decides. So, you know, the person you're pitching to, they don't decide. They are just trying to see like, oh, is this going to, you know, I have my marching orders of what we need to fill in and, you know, or I take this up. So, so they're trying to find very specific things. Um, so anyways, Disney, uh, they really loved our pitch and our main character, uh, Waffle, a girl, 
And but something very important for them was that they needed Waffle to wear a skirt. And they said, look, we can't I cannot take this up unless Waffle's design has a skirt. Right. And I knew that was something that we could not do because it's like an adventure show. And I was like, it doesn't make sense for her character to wear a skirt. You know, she's got a belt, um, but a skirt, you know, I can't that's really against the flavor of what we're doing for this show. So uh, we passed on all future um, talks with Disney because of that. Um, But there's some, you know, very easy things that you can change, you know, like um, uh, one thing was we had the marshmallows all staying in an RV. And when we were uh, selling to Cartoon Network, they were like, look, we already have a show in development that has an RV and it was Uncle Grandpa. Uh, so like, can you do something else? So we, you know, put them all in separate tents in the campground. That was real easy for that makes us. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. But stuff, you know, like um, I I did a pitch uh, where it was a little more character based and also adventure. And they needed to have a focus. Cartoon Network was like, we need to know, is this more character based or it's more which forward is it? Cause you can only choose one for, you know, what they were looking for. Um, so I said it was a little more character based rather than, than adventure. Um, and that's, you know, just, you have to be honest. You have to know what you're willing to bend on and know what you're going to be, you know, tried and true on. Makes know? total sense. At what point do you say, cause you can iterate a pitch forever and you're going to, you can do that. At what point do you feel comfortable that your pitch is ready? Like what is the state your pitch uh meets because for me like I've learned a lot and I I started pitching and I didn't have any character development on my first pitch which somehow you know got really really far but people kept asking like you know have you thought about how these characters interact and I'm like nope and now I wouldn't I wouldn't create a pitch without you know in at least in my mind having a backstory how the characters interact their personalities what their goals are blah blah blah, like very character driven same with the world etc is that what is the state that you reach when your pitch is ready to share and uh with studios because you know that's a big deal to go to to get a meeting with you know cartoon network or disney and then share with them something you don't want it to fail yeah so it's just a point that you feel like it's good uh, and know that it's going to continue developing as you pitch to other studios. So Toasty Tales, we pitched to probably, you know, we had at least a dozen pitches. And after every pitch, we learned more yeah. uh, about, you know, what studios were looking for and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so we would always develop a little more, you know, they're like, oh, that was a really good question. We should pro- probably, you know, be prepared to answer that in the next meeting, you know? So if you're, you know, able to set up a bunch of pitch meetings, I would go with, you know, the smaller studios first pitching and then lead into the big ones, Um, you know. Refined and ready. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, um, you know, it's just a feeling you have when, when you're done. But I would also say, don't rush it. I did get that advice once um, and I, you know, I was talking to this exec and I was like, I have this idea and it's not ready to go yet, but I want to pitch it. And she was very excited for me to pitch it. And she was like, don't worry about it. Just, just bring it in. Let's, let's set a date for one month from now. And I was like, oh shit, I am not going to be ready. Um, And I wasn't ready, you know? So 
so, you know, I think maybe there are some people out there who can just like get it together. Uh, but for me, I need time to really ruminate on an idea and, you know, um, give it space to breathe. Uh, so for me, I know rushing is not, uh, doesn't work for me. So it, yeah, it's just a feeling for me that you have, you know, when you're done, but also there's like a certain checklist, right? You need to make sure that you have your, your characters developed enough and, you know, or at least they're designed well enough where you're going to get into that first stage, right? Yeah. Uh, the world is developed and then you have some episode ideas, you know? Are there any resources that you found really helpful throughout this process that are just out there for other people? Because, you know, I get a lot of people asking me about pitching stuff and I've found that there's not a lot uh, like on the Internet. Even there's a couple pitches that have been circulating, but there's not a lot of resources telling you exactly what you need, how to connect with studios, you know, all this process. So are, are there things that other than experience that you found really helpful? Um, yeah, so actually, uh, a resource that has just become free right now is right Joe, now. Joe Murray's, um, book that he published. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> which, uh, it was available. I downloaded uh, it. <laughs> down. Yeah. Back, back in the day. So, uh, I purchased it and it was a really great resource for me to kind of learn the, uh, important structure of how a pitch Bible should be, um, uh -huh. So uh, also there's like a ton of pitch Bibles like online you can just find yeah. and going to see in all of these over and over is the important things, which are logline. Usually there's a synopsis uh, and you're going to have, you know, a format like what, you know, what is the style of the show, you know, um, how long are episodes going to be, you know, that kind of thing. And then you're going to have character descriptions back, um, world description, yeah. and uh, you're going to have episode ideas. Yeah. Uh, and if you have, you, you know, you're going to say, is this episodic or serialized? And if it's serialized, you're going to have like an overarching story um, kind of thing that you're going yeah. to have in the Bible all as the, well. All the classic stuff. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, nice. yeah. You know, I don't want to take all your time. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <talking about laughs> you know, forever. I was, I actually wanted to do a big class on pitching, but I felt like it, like the industry is exploding right now and it's yeah. not a good time to pitch a show because so much is on hold. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so many projects that are in development are either getting uh, canceled or they are being used as tax write-offs. And that feels extremely devastating. Uh, to have a show in development and get it, you know, kind of made and then find out, oh, actually, we're going to, you know, use this as a tax write off. We're never going to release it anywhere like that. I just couldn't even fathom that, you know. Yeah. So um, so I decided not to teach this class on development. But I think, you know, supposedly it's, you know, coming back up, you know, I would give it a couple months. But, you know. Uh, well, it, might, people... it might be a good it might I'm actually teaching a class on pitching at a at a conference here in Toronto in a couple of months. It might be a good time to uh you know start developing an idea so that when that's true, yeah. Because at least from my experience, and like you said, it for me it takes a while to stew. Like my my the biggest pitch that's close to my heart 
has been in my mind for the last, I don't know, six years, basically. And and it, I finally put it onto paper last year and blah, blah, blah. So um, it might be a good time to at least start putting to pen and paper your your ideas, I think. But, you know, I, I, <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, I've taken up so much of your time already. Is there anything that you you wanted to discuss that we didn't discuss already? Um, I'm just very excited about, uh, my little production company that I've started. Um, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's called tiny lion and we are in production on our, our, um, two, two little projects. So the first one is, Oops. uh, um, based on a comic that I, I made, uh, back probably like, uh, seven years ago or five, five years ago. Um, and it's kind of about my experiences living uh, downtown in Skid Row on uh, food stamps when I had nothing. But it's a very, it's a very lighthearted, dark comedy. Um, and I'm, I'm a little wary about it because it's, um, it has, it has this one, one joke at the end that makes it, you know, dark. And, and I think, you know, it could be a little too dark for some people, maybe a little triggering. So I'm, I'm worried, but I'm also like, I just gotta, I gotta put it out there, you know. I feel like if you're worried, that's actually a good thing. <laughs> you're worried about causing a reaction, which can't yeah. can't be a bad thing, unless you get canceled, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and that's another thing, you know, you gotta put yourself out there in this day and yeah. age on media. You gotta, you know, grow some thick skin, I guess. So I was like, I gotta, I just gotta be ready for it. Uh, so and the other project we have is, um, uh, it's called Golly's Cat Crafts, and it's a preschool short format show that involves cats and making crafts that you can play with cats oh. with so oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh it's based on a larger pitch that i had yeah. you know was sending around before you know the industry kind of flatlined um and it's still at one place uh that you know i'm like i don't know if it's going to happen but i want to make something with these characters so i'm doing it on my own uh and uh so it's called golly's cat crafts and the hardest part is uh, uh self funding um, yeah, i was just going to say so what is what inspired you to say i'm going to i'm going to start a production company and produce these ideas through that company uh, versus you know, trying to always find funding uh, externally. Uh, so it's it's extremely difficult to keep your idea the way you like. I'm always okay with compromising, but yeah. I think my last experience, and I'm you know just to say it, it was with Netflix. It was it was very difficult developing with them. Um, I developed five different complete iterations of of a show for them, and. It, it was like they didn't know what they wanted. And I think mm -hmm. it was because they were relying on data that kept on changing. And I don't want to, you know, leave my ideas up to data dictating what, you know, should be happening in a show, like on a very, like not just episode by episode, but on a very found, foundational basis. You know, I think, I think studios, you know, these big streamers can, should be trusting in their creators, you know? Right. So I was like, it's not a good time to sell a show. Uh, it's a good time to be independent. And I think the industry is really shifting. Um, and so I, I just wanted to, you know, harness this moment and really 
let my ideas shine for what they are. And it's been so long since I've been able to do anything of my own, you know? So I'm in a, I'm in a situation where I can, so I should. And, you know, even if, you know, these projects don't really go very far at the very end of the day, they are going to be for, you know, at least a directing reel. So I can move, you know, more into that direction. Um, which is ultimately what I would like to do if I continue working in, you know, at larger studios. Oh, that makes sense. What What was the decision to create a production company to create these ideas versus just, you know, continue to be a self-produced animator making these ideas? Uh, so it came from back in 2020 when the pandemic was happening, you know, animation was carrying the industry. Yeah. Uh, so I had a lot of people from live action reaching out to me about different projects And I, you know, you can't be an individual and make this, you know, act as a studio. You have to have, you know, tax, uh, you know, identifying things, you know, so you you have to. I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. You have to do all that stuff. So I was like, I'm going to do it. And um, I, I. You know, none of those live action things actually panned out. But during that time, I actually did pick up uh, some very cool work developing some stuff for uh, Apple, which may not ever see the light of day. But, uh, you know, it's something I did and it got Tiny Lion started. Um, and I I liked the process of, you know, even though it wasn't my idea, it was, uh, you know, very cool to uh, bring people on and you know kind of prove that you know I could do this on a larger scale I mean that makes that makes a lot of sense and congratulations that's awesome my last question is how are you funding these two uh development ideas if there isn't somebody who's buying into them yet which you said Uh, is difficult my savings (laughs) right love that (laughs) yeah yeah um I'm actually uh uh you know being a member of the union I have two pensions and uh, because, you know, unfortunately, there's not very many writing union jobs. So I haven't been feeding into that pension. One of them or both of them. So one of them I'm able to take out. So I'm actually oh. funding funding my studio mm-hmm. with this little pension that I have. Interesting. I have no idea how unions work because here in Canada, we have we have one now, actually, Titmouse Unionized. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's part of the Animation Guild. Yeah, it is. It is. But uh, it's just gone global. So most uh, people don't have any. Well, they are now. Yeah, most people here have no clue. I don't know. You could get a pension from the. From the... Yeah, I would. I would encourage uh, anybody in the animation who wants to get into animation just to uh, you know look into the Animation Guild. They have a great website yeah. uh, where you can learn about them and. Um, you know, if you want to unionize, uh, your studio that you're working for, um, you know, you can reach out to them because, you know, they'll, they'll help you with that. Uh, I wish Tiny Lion was big enough to be able to unionize. Cause I, I think, you know, it's great for everybody. Um, we are very small <laughs> and I do not have that kind of money or funding. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of me doing the work myself right now and moving extremely slowly. Um, you know, I'm just, you know, when you pay people freelance, uh, you know, I, I don't want people to go through what I went through really early on in my career. Um, yeah. so, which was a lot of stress for very low pay, 
and struggling because you you're like you're trying to prove yourself um but uh the, i feel like the industry is a lot kinder now and everybody who went through that um while i was going through that in that time it was like that was really fucked up you know uh part of my language uh <laughs> but um but yeah it's like there's no there's no need to be so mean to all these young people who are trying to get into the industry so you know i try to be a little more relaxed with with the people that I'm, I'm bringing on to work on these projects and be like, look, you know, I can't really, I can't afford union rates, but you know, I can help, you know, bring you yeah, up as yeah, a yeah. and, you know, give you a lot of um, mentoring and Thanks. time. you know, So you don't feel like you're killing yourself and stressing out to get this thing done. So it's like, you know, I just, things will get done when they get done. And <laughs> you know it's kind of i mean it's kinda, it's, even if it's yeah. a baby step it's still forward i think that's great and you know yeah, exactly you i know? can clearly tell you're passionate like, about this because a lot of people just wouldn't even bother you know so this is amazing yeah. and at, at this point like even even um hiring people or talking about my company because i i wanted to you know just see if this is something i wanted to do the first you know 2021 and 2022 uh it was just like all right what what am i doing like tax wise, you know, cause my original tax lady kind of messed things up. So I had to get another one. Um, and so, you know, she kind of set everything straight and, you know, <laughs> it, let me tell you. <laughs> oh my gosh. It sounds like you've been through the ringer with quite a lot of things. Gosh. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, Caroline, uh, yeah, I, I th super thank you for being so candid and sharing your journey and and uh, allowing me to pick your brain on pitching because that's something that I'm also super passionate about and I think it's fantastic that you know you've come to where you are and you've you've become you know successful in multiple areas of animation and really chosen your path too. I think that's fantastic. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, is there any is there anything final that you wanted to say as we wrap up? Maybe? Um, yeah, I think you know where we are right now in animation, it's difficult. I know a lot of people trying to break in, uh, it feels impossible and it's not impossible. It's just very hard right now. So yeah. just hang in there, uh, keep doing what you love and uh, be resourceful about your path, the paths that you can take to get you in animation, you know, um, like, there's there's more than you know just being a character designer or an animator you know you you can get in being a production assistant and you know there's very many there's lots of other doors um to help you get in but also it's just it's really hard right now so don't be hard on yourself you know like yes yeah, and I I, I mean like industry it's horrible yeah. right now <laughs> I totally agree. And I think if you love it, then there's a reason you love it. And you should probably do it, even if it is tough right now. And and there are wonderful people like myself or Carolyn, you can potentially reach out to and ask for some tips. And and I'm more than willing to share at least the limited experience that I have and, and help you out. But uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah. Anyways, thank you so much, Carolyn, for coming on. It's been, yeah. a, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. It was yeah. lovely. Thank you for asking, you know, most People usually ask me questions about BoJack and um, Rick and Morty, so it was very nice to kind of talk a, a little more in about the the pitching well, actually, process. Actually, I'm assuming you've worked with Aaron Long on on BoJack because yes. he came yeah. on this podcast, I think, in his first year, actually. <laughs> oh, very cool! Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, quite yeah. a few people on. So yeah, I mean, I mean, like, uh, I wanted to. We could have talked about that too. Maybe we could still talk about that another time. But uh, another time, yeah, uh, we'll do the. Uh, 
a deep dive. Deep dive. There's so many things. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much. And if you're listening and you want to reach out to or get in touch with, which is the same thing, or follow Carolyn, you can do so by checking out her website, which is carolynfoleyanimation.com or uh, her production company's Instagram, which is Tiny Lion Animation, or her Instagram, Twitter, or even Blue Sky, which is all under Tough Waffles. And I'll include all those links in the description of this chat. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Willem Mendo and the graphics by Luhan Wang. I encourage you to look them up if you've enjoyed their work.